Hello, everyone. My name is Shruti. Hey, I'm Adi. Welcome to You Didn't Ask, We Deliver. All right. Um, so for this week, we basically, um, the two of us love to keep, you know, keep up with what's going on in politics and with it being summer of 2023, um, we're starting to see a lot of these candidates um, come out and, and say they're running for the 2024 race. Um, on the Republican side. And um, as Shruti and I were kind of talking about, you know, all these candidates, um, we happened upon one of the candidates who's running um, as a GOP candidate, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, which if you've been keeping up with the race, you've probably heard of, but we'll talk all about him today, if not. Um, and that kind of just sparked our conversation um, just about like Indian Americans and politics, um, be it voters and candidates, and also the surprising, at least to us a little bit, kind of surprising, um, you know, uh, trend we've seen of these bigger politicians that are Indian or that have like South Asian background. Um, being Republican, um, yeah. even though the majority of Indian Americans tend to vote liberal. Um, so we were basically having this conversation and then one of us was like, whoa, we should make this an episode. So here we, here are, we are making this an episode. Um, so yeah, we'll just kind of talk through, um, you know, the uh, Vake's policies, talk about kind of these um, four, you know, these big Indian Americans in politics and kind of, you know, our thoughts on why there's a lot of, you know, just like nuances with South Asian representation in politics. There's obviously not a whole lot of it right now, and that should change in the next few decades. But, you know, we can kind of just reflect on that for now. Yeah. So I think like what we can do first is just talk about Vivek's policies and like what he needs to do. I think some of them are a little bit shocking i don't even want to say extreme because when i think extreme i think of like trump and his rhetoric for the 2016 election and i don't oh oh man but um but with vivek i feel like some of the things that he says aren't like jarring in that respect but i feel like some of them almost are just like why would anyone like even be on board with that. So the first one that I can think of that I feel like even people that aren't really following the election have at least heard of vaguely is the one where he wants to raise the voting age from 18 to 25 unless you've either served in the military or served as a responder for the, for um, at least six months. Or if you can pass a civics test, the same civics test that people who are trying to become naturalized um, citizens have to pass in order to become a US citizen. Um, I personally do not see that. I, f I feel like whenever I've seen like Fox News videos where he's explaining that policy or even other news outlets where he's trying to explain um, the reasoning behind it, like he frames it in a way like, oh my God, like this makes such logical sense. But in reality, I feel like if you look at it one level deeper, all you have to know, and like if you look at... Um, the stats of how people in that age demographic of like 18 to 24 do vote, it's large, it's mostly democratic, it's mostly liberal. Um, those people, I think it's like 70% of that demographic votes left. And then 
only 30% um, votes for the Republican candidate, if I remember mm -hmm. that stat correctly. Um, so in reality, I feel like this is honestly just a motive to get less of less votes towards Democrats. And then it, it's like an element, it's a way of like suppressing the vote rather than yeah. actually like having um, any sort of backing to, or like logical, at least logical backing as to why that policy makes sense in the first place. But I think it's interesting in the way that he's framing it as like, oh yeah, like this makes total sense. Like why would you vote unless you're 100% involved in um, like American politics or anything like that? Or why would you vote if you don't have, if you don't know the ins and outs of the legislative system? And I don't want to say that doesn't make like 100% sense like I'm not gonna sit here and say like oh like you should be you should be able to vote without knowing anything I think but I think that's why the voting age is 18 once you've had like at least gone through high school and had at least one or two um, government classes or civics classes so that you're informed about the American legislative system and it's not like you're totally unaware because then otherwise the voting age would be like 12. Um, right <laughs> so i personally don't see why 20 why like this magical number 25 needs to exist in terms of a voting age and i was wondering if you had any more insight on that beyond just it being voter suppression um you entirely covered all my thoughts again <laughs> he definitely does frame it from what i the way i've seen him describe it like in articles and just like news clips um he frames it as the fact that like oh this like younger generation is isn't as politically aware which quite frankly is an issue like we've always had as a nation and i think multiple countries have where like younger people tend to not be as invested in politics so he kind of was framing it as like okay this is a way that like you're either serving this country so you're more invested or you're more educated and but it's literally what you were you were saying true i think a lot of policies end up sounding good when someone promotes it and then you have to see how things actually will get implemented and it's what you're saying like it's hard to draw a line on you know when this can be a suppression technique right like who's passing these exams what's the parameter it can kind of come back to that like pulled um what the poll quizzes or what was that called um that would suppress uh, um black americans from voting back mm -hmm. in the day pre just because civil rights. Um, so again, I really, especially for that demographic, um, we tend to largely vote against his beliefs. So that, you know, kind of sheds light on more potentially sinister um, motivations behind that. Um, honestly, when he first mentioned it, it gave me like, Andrew Yang give everyone a thousand dollars energy like it was just so outlandishly different from what anyone had ever said before that yes. there's a part of me who was always also wondering if there was like some shock value that he was kind of after with that um again I do think at its core it sounds like good it's like oh we just want people to be to either be invested in this country by serving it actively or like are educated and if that was the reality, I could I could honestly respect it, even if I don't agree with it. But I 
it's literally what you said. I think 18, since we recognize 18 to be a legal adult in this country, I think it's perfectly appropriate to be able to vote at that stage as well. So right. I don't, like I had some exposure to, you know, government and we all are, should have a say just by nature of being like living in this country mm -hmm. um, versus like having to prove yourself and a way beyond that, so. And I think I also know. it kind of feeds in, maybe this was, this could also be a stretch too of like, you know, the idea that, you know, you have to be at least 25 or you had to have like served in the military um, or be, or, you know, have that sort of restriction of like feeding into the, I don't want to say it like feeds into the military industrial complex, but eh, maybe I will say like, one thing that I find interesting, though, is like with this number of this tw number 25 almost does it seems very arbitrary to me because one could argue like, oh, like you want someone that's actually educated to be able to vote. OK, fine. But th from 18 to 22, there's a significant chunk of the population that goes to college, earns a degree. And then from 22 to 25, for a lot of people, they are experiencing or working in a job that where they contribute significant um, or not contribute where they earn a significant salary and then also contribute taxes to the nation's economy. And so what how are you going to consider that age group where they're contributing to the economy in a significant way, but then suddenly now under this idea, they wouldn't be able to vote? Like it all, it, it all seems very backwards, but then the way that he's explaining it on Fox News is very much like, oh, this makes totally logical, complete sense. And I feel like that's a running theme um, with Republican candidates and like Republican policies is like, they use like straw man arguments and things like that um, to kind of convince the public to not look like just one layer deeper and mm -hmm. how these policies would actually be implemented and they're like oh yeah like this makes total logical sense and if you don't think and like don't use your brain and go underneath that and go to that like deeper layer i will admit it does make logical sense like if i just turn my brain off i'm like oh yeah like this makes sense but <laughs> when you right but if without you, that like deeper analysis you're, yeah. you know it, it always sounds it sounds good on paper it sounds good when he pitches it yeah and, you know, I think it does kind of take more analysis on how it'll be implemented and kind of like, you know, looking into his motives that really makes you think whether it's actually, you know, serve going to serve the purpose he's making it sound like it will. So, yeah. And I also think um, kind of going back to this whole idea of, you know, Indian Americans um, in American politics now in like recently being involved in American politics and holding those higher positions of power. I find another one of his policy positions really interesting about um, kind of this anti-affirmative and um, anti-affirmative action or anti any sort of element of race or quote unquote wokeness being used in whether it's like admissions or business models or anything like that he he's really honed in on this idea of quote-unquote woke capitalism being like the downfall of our society and i was thinking we should do kind of like a deep dive on that as well 
Mm -hmm. That's like a big kind of tenet for a lot of his beliefs and policies. Like it kind of centers on on being anti-woke. And he that's a label he gave himself. That's a label a lot of people have kind of attached to him. Um, and so going from like just starting with affirmative action, I guess he um, staunchly opposes it, does not think it should exist. Um, <clears throat> and again, his idea, it does stem back to kind of the anti-woke um, principle, just that like, hey, we shouldn't be considering like race or, you know, um, demographic or race or ethnic background as um, a factor in admissions at all, um, which this has been talked about <laughs> for many years, but um, it honestly affirmative action just kind of boils down to um, the way admissions runs in our country. Um, I, on paper, it sounds great to think that, okay, everyone would blindly be judged by purely their academic merit. Um, that would be lovely. Uh, but I think a big reason why affirmative action exists is that it helps account for um, the different life lived experiences you have belonging to different ethnic and racial backgrounds um, and how that may or may not like offer you certain privileges even beyond life like your life experiences but also the way you're perceived and treated mm -hmm. um and so that kind of helps like even that playing field in some regard um so but he is kind of giving that whole like colorblind spiel yeah opposing it by saying that none of that should matter and it should purely be off merit so i think it has been talked about but that's where he stands yeah um, and I kind of wanted to add, I think it's really interesting coming from him, like that he's saying those things as a person of color. And, you know, I think what he's done is kind of bought into this model minority, quote unquote, model minority myth. Yeah, that a lot of like us being in the Indian community and like, in a broader sense, the Asian community have heard a lot, especially regarding college admissions or grad school admissions, things like that is like, um, it's almost like white people kind of want to, to pit people of color against each other. And the easiest target is for that white people can use is like Asian Americans that, um, I guess historically when it comes to like statistics we'll have in terms of college admissions or grad school admissions, statistically we'll have like higher median GPAs or higher, SAT scores, MCAT scores, like whatever, whatever it is, standardized test scores. Um, and so they're like, they'll say like, oh, like, look at you guys, you guys are working so hard. And look at like this other group of individuals that quote unquote, don't have to work as hard, but are still getting the same positions that you guys want. Like you guys should be mad at each other. And I feel like what Vivek has done is kind of bought into that to a degree and then is kind of now that he's running as a Republican candidate, like the reality is that the GOP base is like white evangelicals. And so he's kind of pandering to that base and being like, I'm one of the good people of color. Like, I totally agree with you guys. Like, look at me. I hate all of these um, race based um decisions that occur within our society or like race influenced color influenced decisions that occur in our society and i want to get rid of it all you should vote for me like i feel like that is kind of like this running theme 
that he has in mm -hmm. um, his overall policies, whether it comes to raising the voting age or being anti-ESG, anti-woke, whatever. Like, all that stuff is kind of boiled down to that, at least from my eyes and what I can interpret. No, that's exactly the way I viewed it. Like, he has definitely kind of bought into that. Um, and, you know, I think it's obviously, like, he's not an idiot. Like, obviously, that does, you know, that... Um, school of thought does fare well with, um, you know, white, white evangelicals broadly, um, especially if you think that it's unfair that they're getting, you know, better treatment through affirmative action or, yeah. you know, like inclusive, like inclusive programs or principles that are targeted towards specific demographics that aren't you, you know, um, but it goes back to what you're saying. It really squashes POC solidarity. And it's kind of like, like the way I see it is that like every, like, and this is true no matter what group of anything you belong to, right? Like we all are also in different socioeconomic statuses, different genders, sexes, right. yeah. like lived experiences, right? Like we all have so many differences, but like yeah. looking into race and ethnic backgrounds specifically, like there should be POC solidarity in terms of, understanding that just by like not being white you've had a slightly different experience in america and you but within that how asian americans tend to have model minority status where you know we're more likely to be perceived in a positive light um versus certain ethnic backgrounds like if you're a black american um hispanic um certain ethnic backgrounds tend to not be you know perceived in as positive of a light at least historically um, and so that I think where POC solidarity comes in is acknowledging that model minority status exists and the fact that regardless, you might be perceived a certain way, whether it's positive or negative because of your race or ethnic background and understanding the privilege or lack of privilege that comes with that. But obviously by just saying like, hey, none of that should matter, you're squashing the fact that that even exists, which is easier to do if you're a model minority, right? And that's yeah. something we can go into as we talk about broader, um, you know, broader trends we're noticing with um, South Asian politicians in America. But yeah, that's kind of a big route, I would say, is getting so comfortable in the privilege you've had that you don't acknowledge that like other people have had different lived experiences, so. Yeah, and I honestly like, I kind of wanted to go into a deep dive of the anti-ESG um, policy. Yes, we have to do it. I like, was telling true, but I just heard them talk about it on the radio. We yeah. were deep diving it last week. so Yeah, like when we were like looking up stuff for this episode. But for... Start from, start from the basics. Yeah. Like what is ESG? Break yeah. it all down. So essentially what ESG is, it stands for Environmental Social Governance. And what it is, is like the best way to explain it is kind of like a system or framework that a business or corporation can use to kind of govern its um, activities and operations that it wants to execute in order to deliver um, value to its customers. Um, and so ESG kind of now in our society, um, the way that it can kind of be perceived, I guess, in layman's terms or for the people that haven't really taken um, business classes is like very much so focusing on 
kind of sustainability and maybe like focusing on social issues that customers could care about and kind of aligning operations in a sense so that customers can be attracted to whatever product or service that um, a business is offering. And so this kind of puts um, businesses in a dilemma or it's causing tension within the business world because ultimately what corporations want to do is make a profit. What I've learned in my business classes is that that's not the only thing that a corporation should focus on. It shouldn't just be mm -hmm. all about money, 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 money. Like, Bingo. yes, in order to survive, a corporation can't have all of its numbers in the negatives. They can't all be in the red. Like, that's not good. Corporations do need to make a profit. But if a corporation only focuses on making money, that's a business that has failed too. Um, the reason why there's any sort of tension is because according to Harvard Business Review, so it looks like 70% of America's top executives called themselves Republicans. And, you know, the general Republican um, platform is like lower taxes, keeping more money in your pocket, stuff like that. But then at the same time, business leaders need to serve the customers and what customers are now um, focusing on or caring about is this quote unquote woke agenda or, you know, caring about sustainability of the products that they're consuming or caring about how ethical um, the sourcing is or also caring about um, whether the products that they're buying from, like whether those companies also care about the same social issues that um, that we care about as consumers. Mm -hmm. And so um, the best example in terms of like the social issue stuff would be um, the recent examples of Bud Light and Target, kind of like for Pride Month, how they've been putting out products and showing their support for the LGBTQ community. And so from a business leader perspective, they're almost in this tug of war of like the ESG movement um, of and customers kind of being kind of driving the ESG movement in terms of supporting these social causes. And then also the kind of top executives that they have to respond to that are more on the Republican side and just being like, no, we just care about money. Like we don't care about all of this woke nonsense. Um, but one thing that I will say is that this anti-ESG movement that Vivek has been kind of pushing in his platform, he frames it in a sense of like how, you know, focusing on ESG and all of that is robbing us of our liberty, robbing us of our money, that kind of thing. And I find that very interesting because it's like, it's just, it's not true. Many other CEOs, executives, whatever, and even Harvard Business Review, which is kind of like, which is honestly in business courses, like we don't even really use textbooks like that. We will literally read case studies of successful companies like Tesla and like Trader Joe's, Ben and Jerry's, all that kind mm. of stuff. We use case studies from Harvard Business Review about all of these successful companies that are now like thriving in society. So this is kind of like the business Bible, if you will, or like a business source, um, Bible source, if you will. And what Harvard Business Review is saying is that the anti-ESG movement is not founded in anything or not based in anything factual and that 
And if you think, even if you don't have a business background, I feel like it's honestly kind of a logical thing to think about. Like if companies want to make a profit, they need to appeal to customers and they appeal to customers by also caring about and showing consistency in values that their customers also care about. So if their customers care about social issues and companies want to appeal to customers, companies need to appeal to social issues and worrying about what like 10 people think and like what 10 people want in terms of only profits isn't going to help a business thrive when they have like millions of people that they could be appealing to by doing the right thing and caring about all of their employees or all of their, um, I don't want to say fan base, but like target audience. Yeah, target <laughs> fan base, <laughs> um, target audience, like target demographic. And so all this to say is that I think, you know, long story short, I think Vivek's policies and him kind of branding himself as like the successful business owner, but then being like, oh, woke capitalism is like the downfall of our society is just wrong and is kind of founded once again in like, racist beliefs and that having elements of diversity, equity, inclusion, sustainability, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Like it's all not, it's all founded in nothing factual and like, being, yeah. And being threatened by that and not wanting to appeal to what customers care about. And if that is diversity, equity, and, and inclusion, um, is not going to help a business thrive. And you're not like owning the libs by saying that. Mm -hmm. Now, and I mean, that's, I saw so many parallels. This all umbrellas under his whole like, anti-woke, like, model minority. But, yeah. But it parallels so well with his view on affirmative action too, because reality is like, he's, you know, kind of trying to see it from like a, hey, we don't need to be like, instead of prioritizing these woke policies of like inclusion and, you know, the pandering to these niche things that people in society want, we need to be on like the end goal, which from like an affirmative actions lens is the it's students with the best qualifications yeah. um, from a corporate perspective, what's producing the most profits when in reality, like, it so much of that is also what you're like i'm not to get a little hippie on us but like what's your definition of success right it's like is success really just money 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 which you said even from a business definition no that like yeah. corporations should also be serving consumers and if consumers are you know people in society are pushing for these changes then you should be reflecting that in your company as well but also yeah. that like what you're saying it kind of goes hand in hand like by making the changes that the people want to see, people will be supporting those companies and you will be seeing profit margins increase. So even if yeah. like, you know, like you, if I'm very anti-capitalist, so this is not the way I think I'm not in the business world at all. But so, but even if you are like, like you were saying, as a business owner or working in corporate, you want to like, you want, it makes sense to put profits, like even if profits aren't your sole focus, prioritize it I understand that but like like you were saying if you can still get that with inclusion into effect then being against that really just makes you really exclusive doesn't it you know? yeah um and really I see this as definitely a window an excuse to just be exclusive and really racist yeah <laughs> um I've seen so many people say that again like 
oh, if you have to worry about like diversity with like ethics boards, that you're not getting the best people for the job. But in thinking that, aren't you thinking that like, oh, the only people that would be good at the job aren't a diverse selection of people? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's really important to look at what it, you know, the implications behind the things you say. Like, it sounds good to say, let's focus on um, like the top, the board of my company being just the best people for the job. When in reality, so many people would have been good for the job and it's okay to have people of different backgrounds be on that board. And by you saying that, you're really saying that people of other ethnic and racial backgrounds wouldn't be as good as a white person. So a little bit jarring. Um, and then also, um, I know Shrew mentioned a ton of examples, but the one I heard on the radio kind of recently was for Exxon um and how basically obviously their their profit margin is behind drilling right like they're they're behind oil um so with recent like pushes to be more um you know environmentally conscious mm -hmm. um they're implementing more policies to be you know a little um you know a uh, little more careful about drilling policies, a uh, little more aware of the environmental, in, environmental impact um, of oil as a natural resource. And in doing so, their profits have decreased. Um, and mm -hmm. so basically, the what I was listening to on the radio that um, them kind of using Exxon to support anti-ESG policy was how they were essentially saying like, wow, by pandering to what society wants, which is being more mindful about the environmental impact of um, oil and drilling, um, they've decreased profits significantly and the kind of economic impact of that. Hi, so Anchor lets us record in 30 minute chunks. Um, so at 30 <laughs> minutes is up and now we're back. Um, <laughs> I just love doing these little blurbs. But anyways, back to what I was saying about um, Exxon. Essentially in, um, in focusing on being more environmentally conscious, they've their profits have gone down recently. Um, and the radio host was complaining about how um, by you know you know by promoting ESG, they've lost profits, which should be the goal of your corporation. When I think you do kind of have to look at the bigger picture about you know if you want, for example, more environmentally conscious decisions to be made maybe acutely profits do go down and um i don't want companies to be hurt but if that does happen acutely that's understandable also you know kind of being more aware of bigger pictures rather than just profits short term um, is important so again being anti-esg is bigger it's more so looking at how they always frame it as a profits first uh ideology when in reality there are still ways that you can have inclusivity and um, be conscious of these changes that society wants and have that help you as a business rather than hurt you um, and kind of this is a good way to kind of see how anti-ESG um, really just boils down to not wanting exclusive not wanting inclusivity yes. in the corporate world as a whole yes. um, all right, so I think now we've kind of done a touch on Vivek's at least like extreme policies. 
and then also specifically talked about ESG. But I also wanted to talk about generally like this running theme or not running theme, but this theme that we've had recently in American politics of like Indian people on the rise and increased Indian representation, but how despite most of the voting block in terms of Indian Americans voting, most of them voting Democrat, all of the rep that we've gotten, or not all of it, but the majority of the rep that we've gotten has all been from the GOP or the Republican side. And I wanted to say at least like with my thoughts on that, how I think it's interesting that the whole reason why these Indian people have been even been able to come into this country, have a life, be American citizens is due to progressive immigration policies and also um, progressive ideals in the sense that like, no, it doesn't just have to be the standard quote unquote standard white people in America holding these higher positions of power and then like POC or Indian people just are like middle management till we die type of thing. Um, Indian people can also have these higher positions of power um, and influence legislation in this country. Those are all progressive ideals. Mm -hmm. But then it seems like these Indian people have kind of, they've thrived off of those ideals. But then they're like, oh, like I'm a brown person that has achieved the same level of um, accomplishments that a white person has. So like all of these like, focus on diversity, focus on like um, skin color, all that stuff is a bunch of nonsense. Um, We don't need that anymore. I'm going to run as Republican and kind of cater to the white people that don't like that stuff. And I think that's really interesting. And I think it's also interesting that of those like Indian people that have run in Republican spaces, have kind of turned on and off their South Asian identity when it's convenient. And I guess like Bobby Jindal fully changed his name to be more appealing to- Oh, I was about to say that. Yeah. Um, We can't have this conversation at all without not mentioning the OGs in the movement, which is really Bobby Jindal and Nikki Haley. Um, Bobby's real name is Piyush. Nikki's real name is Nimrita. Yeah. So again, they've like quite literally changed their name, which again, if I get it. They were in a different you were if you were just trying to make, you know, life easier for you. Cool. But it goes deeper than that. Right. Like this is that's just one part, but not an insignificant part of literally all like altering your identity to be more favorable um, towards the Republican voter demographic. Right. Again, that and distancing yourself from your South Asian identity in order to do so. Um, I know South Asians are on varying spectrums of where they lie in terms of their background being an integral part of their identity, but it doesn't go unnoticed. Um, that changes from changing your name to not identifying with your background at all, or identifying when it fa- when it's favorable for you. Um, yeah. It's important to look at and it's interesting being indian american kind of seeing that yeah um, like bobby jindal like fully changed his name nikki haley like checks off white when it comes to like demographics on forms or things like that when, whenever it asks even though she's full indian 
And the fact that she's kind of adopted this, like, not even adopted whiteness, but completely rejected her Indian identity. Like, I remember when we were talking about um, this episode and doing research for it, you actually thought that she was only half. I thought she was half, actually, yeah. Yeah. So she has done it pretty successfully. Yeah. (laughs) And I looked it up and, and I was like, no, like, both of her parents have Indian names. Like, this lady is fully Indian, but she just Mm -hmm. completely rejects it. But now that she's actually also on the 2024 Republican ticket, it seems like from the research that we did, it seems like she's kind of not trying to stray away from her Indian identity that much, but it's almost not really, it's that idea is not really working because the reality is her voting block is majority white. And they really don't give a crap about how her background has influenced where she's come to today. Like they kind of just want to see what Vivek is doing and being like, just be a good little brown person (laughs) that Mm -hmm. um, appeals to white people. And like, they don't really want to hear about all of these things of her straddling like this quote unquote black and white, like being a brown girl in a black and white world, which is what she's trying to do. Um, It's not really working. But I think one thing I also wanted to say was I don't want to be like crapping on um, like all these brown Republican candidates too much or not too much or like only focusing on them because there's another um, representation like South Asian representation on the Democratic side. And that's our vice president, Kamala Harris. But um, like for the 2020 election... Um, one thing that I noticed that she was doing was like, she is fully, I believe she's half fully like half Indian. She's half Mm -hmm. Indian, half black, but what she, she really branded herself as a black woman. And so that, because, you know, I think the reality is that there's more black people in the U S than there all, there are Indian people. And so she needed to appeal to that voter base to, she's trying to maximize votes. And I get that, but then it's like on YouTube, she was like making dosas with Mindy Kaling. Right. And so it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, like she realized like once she's done enough to, I guess, pander to black people, then she was like, okay, now I got to take care of like Indian people because they also vote uh, largely Democrat. And, you know, I'm half Indian. So I'm going to suddenly make dosa and like, wow, look at me. I'm like so Indian. I think it's really interesting that regardless of whether you're Republican or Democrat, that South Asian identity is almost not really valued on an equal sense as whether you're black or white, like, Mm -hmm. because we are a smaller portion of the US population. And so it seems like the they like to use the fact of not being fully white or being from like an Indian background as an element of like, diversity and like look at me like I'm kind of in this higher level or higher position even having the chance to run for president but then like that's the extent of which it's used and then it's turned off when it's not really gonna help them by being Indian but then turned on again it's like that identity isn't necessarily valued on the same level as other identities. And I think that's really sad, honestly. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I think it's interesting even bringing up, you know, Bobby and Nikki and 
it, even Kamala, just like kind of seeing the evolution of how that's gone. Like when Bobby is pro- in my eyes, the first significant politician of South Asian um, background. And when he ran, he fully rejected. I think he even on the record was like, yeah, like I'm, I don't even consider myself Indian American. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So he like really just, he views himself as like just American and that having South Asian background really has no role in his identity at all. Um, so, you know, I would say very, not even like wishy-washy, just like has pretty much rejected his identity. I don't know if he's made any recent statements that might be different, but that was at least his kind of initial rhetoric um, versus, again, we're seeing especially more recently Nikki Haley kind of trying to identify a little bit more now when she early on in her political career, even up to like the past few years, really did not identify with being South Asian at all. Um, And I think with Nikki and Kamala, we're seeing a little bit more of like the use that identity when it's convenient and distance yourself when it's not. Yeah. Um, and I will say as much as we love to take any shot, any chance to like dunk on, <laughs> on Republicans as like liberal, as people with <laughs> liberal ideology, um, I will say that, yeah, we can't be hypocritical about that, but Kamala has really essentially done play that thing. Yeah. when it's convenienced her as well. Um, and I am, I, this was something kind of tricky that we were both talking about in deciding to make this an episode last week, um, how it's tricky because it is it is nice to see politicians with the same um, ethnic background as you, um, because again, like really Democrat or Republican getting to see a politician that's Indian makes me think, wow, like people like me could do that or like yeah. I can hold you know, a position of power in office, if I so choose. I don't really know that that would be something I'd want to do. But, yeah. you know, it is like very inspirational and just really is a reflection, uh, like you were saying, Shrew, how like they have gotten to take advantage of progressive policies to get to that point in the first place. So it is like kind of exciting to see that that's happened in America, no matter where you stand. Yes. Um, but it is kind of disheartening at the same time to see politicians with the same background as us then use it when it helps them and instead of be consistently proud of their identity the way like we all try to be as Indian Americans so it's definitely very confusing being being an Indian American and really inauthentic a lot of times when you're seeing people use it when they want and distance themselves otherwise so I really do hope that like going forward we're seeing Indian Americans you know, be more proud of their Indian identity, no matter like any time. And one thing I will give Vivek is that even though he doesn't really seem to view um, diverse, diversity and inclusion as like a forefront, being very anti-woke in his nature, he at least has not like changed his name. He yeah. states on the record that he's a Hindu. He like hasn't really rejected his South Asian identity. But yeah. even he stands on a point in modern politics where he doesn't believe that his identity has, you know, more importance. So, you know, I hope we can get to a point where eventually we can see people more kind of proud of their identity and how that shapes them. But yeah, I think like two things can be true at once. Like, I think we can appreciate that it is historical in nature to witness so many Indian Americans being bold enough to run for such high positions of office 
But I also think at the same time, we can be disappointed by the representation that we are getting, because especially the fact that the majority of them are conservative, it almost is like some of the things that they're saying are almost reflective of like what older generations of Indian people say. And you would think that kind of with the millennial generation and, you know, younger, we've kind of tried to learn within our own mentality how to like erase those things and develop our own set of ideals. But it seems like the reality is that there's always going to people be people within our generations that have those beliefs um, that are kind of archaic in nature. And so yeah, I guess like what I will say is I can appreciate that the Vivek Ramaswamis, the Nikki Haley's, the Bobby Jindals of the world exist. However, I personally am disappointed. Sorry, I was chewing. I had to mute myself. Um, it's okay. Just, I'll cut all this out. Just snack time out here. Um, but completely agree. I think you can kind of have a nuanced take of being, you know, thankful for appreciation and still critical. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important kind of uh, school of thought to carry in general is that you yeah. should constantly be critical of people who are representing you, but you can still appreciate like what they do yeah mm -hmm. absolutely but yeah um any closing thoughts or um i think those kind of were my closing thoughts i don't have anything else in addition to add do you honestly not really i feel like you did a good job wrapping it up i just I'm excited to see how, you know, things go forward with his <laughs> with his campaign, honestly, and yeah. with representation overall. Um, I'm interested to see if we can get it to be more reflective of the voter demographic, but also more importantly, see people who ha align more with their identity, um, yeah. which I think would help a lot of uh, South Asians relate to these politicians um, instead of having this sort of inauthentic kind of connection be made. I agree. Well, until next time, y'all, that's going to be it for us. See ya.